0: Welcome to the East West Psychology Podcast, a forum for the exploration of psyche and spirit. Join our hosts, Jonathan Kay and Stefan Julich, and their guests as they delve into the intersection of psychology, philosophy, world wisdom traditions, the arts, and more.
1: Today, Stefan and I talk with East-West Psychology PhD grad and adjunct faculty, Heidi Fraser. She is also the director of the CIIS Center for Writing and Scholarship and happens to be a former EWP program manager. We explore aspects of integral yoga as taught by Hadi Das Chowdhury and Baman Shirazi and its applications in scholarship and activism. We also discuss approaches to understanding integral education based on Heidi's dissertation research on the nature of integral education at CIIS. So where should we start, John? Heidi, why don't you just talk a little bit about how you came into CIIS and EWP and how that led to uh, your dissertation and what the topic was, and we can get into discussing a little bit about that.
0: Well, I'm happy to be here and thanks for inviting me. It was really kind of a roundabout way how I found CIIS. In my undergraduate years, I did study psychology at a state university on the East Coast, and that was just a regular almost positivistic kind of approach in the sense that it really was about cognitive and learning and rat mazes and, you know, history and systems, the basis, which is valuable of Western psychology. But I sort of was left feeling like, is this it? (laughs) And, 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 I almost graduated undergrad feeling like i I ended in the wrong major because I couldn't situate myself in that Western uh, you know cognitive, neuroscientific paradigm quite yet. Um, but what was an eye-opener for me was during uh, junior year, I had the opportunity to do a national student exchange program. So, Study abroad was a little bit out of my league monetarily. So when this opportunity cropped up, um, I decided to go to Sonoma State in California. And it really just opened up a whole new facet of the world of psychology for me because I got to take courses like somatic psychology and biofeedback, myth, dream, and symbol, um, psychology of yoga, psychology of meditation. So I, I really felt reinvigorated um, being in psychology at that point. And actually it was during that semester in California that I learned about CIS existing. And it was kind of a, a love at first sight and i thought well if i ever go to grad school it has to be east west psychology because it it really afforded me the opportunity to take that semester in california and and do a whole masters focused on those you know cross cultural approaches to health and well-being and where does psychology and spirituality meet um and for a while, I didn't pursue grad school because it was a, a money thing. I didn't want to take the plunge and, and, and do the student loans. But after about a year of continued waitressing, uh, I said, well, it was kind of like a deeper nudging. It was like, well, I can't do it unless it's through the system that this 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 world has created, which is borrowing financial aid to be able to do it. So I sort of let the worries about how it was going to get funded and how it was going to get paid back, like go and follow that deeper sense to pursue something that really like reinvigorated my love of learning. Like it sounds silly, but when I started my master's in 2007, I I had this felt sense that I remembered that I loved learning, and I thought, wouldn't it have been cool if I remembered that a lot sooner than graduate school in my 20s? So it was really early on in the master's that I wanted to pursue the PhD, actually, because I thought about one avenue to be able to help younger people remember they loved learning was to be in a university setting. So it was. A sure thing that I was going to continue on if they would have me um, and sure enough, I was in the doctoral program shortly after completing the master's and didn't really settle on a topic right upon entering the program, but I just allowed myself to really dive into that first semester without being like, I need to know what my topic is. So it was that bit of a surrender and like really diving into what was in front of me that actually led me to my topic. Backing up a little bit, the master's capstone project um, gave me the opportunity to imagine uh, a project as part of the portfolio, because they do, um, instead of a traditional thesis project, it's a portfolio project of your work, and you get to really create something that'll be a stepping stone to where you want to go after you graduate. And the program I created was called Embodied Spiritual Recovery. And that's just a fancy name for like me trying to make sense of what East West Psychology Masters was for me. And it's really um, an integral life practice, you know, with mindfulness and creativity and physical activity and recreation. So that real um, whole person approach we talk about at CIS, mind, body, spirit, personal, interpersonal, transpersonal, and like, how do we uh, intentionally develop the multidimensionality of ourselves? Um, So that project, which was just a seed idea at the capstone stage, got really fleshed out in a type of literature review, overview of the project for one of my final papers that first semester in the PhD. And I just thought at the end of writing that paper, I was like, wow, I wonder how East-West is landing for other people. I got really curious about it. And it was that light bulb moment. I was like, that's a dissertation topic. So I decided to explore the value of an integral education at CIIS um, through a mixed method research project where I surveyed and interviewed East-West psychology alumni. So, in a way, it was it was its own sort of um, program assessment in some form. Um, and it was something I think, useful for the university, too, uh, as a way to maybe think about making more explicit the integral education piece. I think we don't necessarily talk to students when they walk in the door, like, you know, there's options. You can watch the, the university documentary. Um, but that's why I feel like so excited about still being involved as adjunct faculty member and director of the CWS, because I am doing that work. I am working with students to try to help them figure out, like, what does this mean? Why did they come to CIS? And how do they communicate about the value of this non-traditional. Um, cutting-edge approach to education um, with with circles outside of ours. You know, that's, I guess, the proof is in the pudding, right? When you can get out into the world and, and make an impact from what you learned. Um, how's that for now, Jonathan?
1: Great. Yeah, thanks so much. Um, uh, three things that sort of were coming out th- um, throughout what you were saying. Uh, idea of learning, mm-hmm. idea of spirituality, and psychology. And I'm almost seeing this in a triangle the ideas that how we can develop spirituality through developing a psychological lens. And one specifically uh, mm. connection there that came up is spirituality and learning. But spe- more specifically, how can we see learning as spirituality? And how does that turn into uh, a methodology? Mm. And this may lead into more of a def- definition of what integral learning is, but just along that line, how can we see learning as spirituality?
0: I think that is a beautiful inquiry and idea and practice. And I, I now, you know, I've never thought of it, Jonathan, until you said it, but it's just, it is. When, when, when you kind of, and I mean you, like people <laughs> when when we have a moment in life where we shift gears and it's it's less about kind of like our routines or, you know, our next gadget or our next paycheck or our next vacation, it's like life can take on this evolutionary quality through kind of a growth and learning mindset. like, through our intentional engagement and participation in in all our multidimensionality. Like, yeah, I guess I'm curious about the implications of that. And I think, you know, with CIS being kind of unique in its own right, you know, there are progressive universities, alternative universities, even the Jesuits, you know, they've been doing, you know, academics and spirituality, like for a while. Um, but one thing that really struck me about integral education at CIS comes particularly from our founder, Dr. Haridas Choudhury, who really founded our school based on the premise and, and belief that higher education could be a venue for the evolution of consciousness. So I think that piece of it really makes CIS stand out in a crowd of you know progressive and alternative approaches to higher ed.
1: Yeah, I would I would agree. I mean, Stefan, do you have anything you want to say along these lines? I, it's interesting. I, I'm I'm going to be giving a short talk
2: uh, tomorrow in uh, knowledge work. Debusha's knowledge work class. And oh, cool. This is you know on APA and stuff. What we did last year. And I uh, I thought the students should really should read, um, Bauman. Shirazi's paper on integral and integrative methodology. So I I pulled it up and and read it, and I've been incorporating it in the lecture that I'm going to give. So a lot of the things that you that you touched on are present in in that paper, and I think it's a really really good important exploration of the boundaries that exist within uh, the academy and how they're kind of allied with uh, a more bio um, biomechanical, you know, or as you said, cognitive behavioral view of the human being. And, you know, doing a little background research into the APA, uh, looking at how, you know, in the beginning of, uh, of the discipline, the Western discipline of psychology, which started as a discipline in the late 1800s along with so many other subject areas, that it initially was uh, um, it was under the kind of auspices of philosophy. It was a branch of philosophy. And there was a kind of a twin impulse, this tension between those who wanted to take it deeper into the sciences, those, those are the people that kind of eventually won out, and those who wanted it to be more a kind of a humanities project and to be a little bit more open to non non-scientifically replicable states of consciousness and what does that mean? So so I you know I'm I was kind of fascinated to read this, you know, from a methodological perspective, as uh, somebody who's writing psychology within the program, within East-West psychology, where we're even though we're a humanities program, we we operate more or less as a social science program, uh, where that tension lies, and how how we can as uh, researchers um, and uh, students of the uh, the subjects that we that we study at our school, how can we push the boundaries of accepted methodological and epistemological? Um, ways of uh, modes of expression within the academy and i I think that you know you put your finger on it cis is just one of those places uh and there are very few although i think that there's a growing hunger for it that really challenges the received view on on uh, human consciousness and learning is folded into that so I don't know if I said anything Jonathan if I, if that was kind of like specifically on point but it's sort of within
1: Orb, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean there's a there is definitely um I'd like a transdisciplinarism in CIS EWP specifically um, being an east west earth world kind of oriented program where you're constantly drawing uh, across barriers that have been some of the barriers that have been part of the modern academy for hundreds and hundreds of years so let's maybe try to get into how is let's get into the idea of the integral then so how would integral vary from or differ from a transdisciplinary uh, practice specifically and and I guess Heidi what 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 is the integral that you have um, come to learn? How is that related to the, the tradition of integral yoga? Is obviously that's the root of our school, Haridas Chowdhury. Um And uh, maybe you could just talk a little bit about the, the entry point that you're using uh, as the integral in the integral education.
0: You know, you said transdisciplinary, and maybe that's hmm. a stepping stone, right? In in multidisciplinary. To transdisciplinary, to integral, uh, because I do think that there are some resonances between transdisciplinary and integral approaches. But to me, what makes integral stand out is this basis of uh, intentional, like I-Thou relationship with the depths of your own being. So, and, and and doing, you know, living life from there.
2: Well, I was kind of interested in in um, maybe I was going to ask you if you can kind of relate that to the idea of higher education as a vehicle for evolution,
0: yeah. and it's it's interesting, right? Because you can't necessarily there's that old adage, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And you know, so so what I can do as a faculty member, and as a, you know, writing center person is like, I can do my own, you know, integral yogic path, or I can do my own work, my own inner work. And that's really the basis for like how I show up in the classroom. And I can offer, and and this is also like straight from the mother in Aurobindo, it's like, you, you don't tell people like, how to do it there's no prescribed way but you can you can teach people about how to interact with the mind and how to be with themselves and and make offerings i think anyone who comes to CIIS is already in a way like a mm. seeker of knowledge self knowledge particularly or else why would you come to CIIS so in a way it's like people are hungry for it if they're coming to CIIS but still, it's not like there's some prescription. It's just an invitation for everyone to be like, what is this body, mind, sense, organs? What are the heights and depths of consciousness? And how can I more intentionally participate with that and, and in the world? And in terms of it being linked to a potential evolution of consciousness you know what Sri Aurobindo and the mother were doing is something like humans have never done before like they've had they've had experiences that people have not had so it is said that they were kind of ushering in a new human I'm just like quoting readings or paraphrasing readings I'm not saying I know this I'm thinking in particularly like the mother's, um, well, the mother didn't write this. It was written by Sat Prem, but it was a text called Mind of the Cells. And it was basically documenting the mother's experiences. And like, what, what would it be like if consciousness was more than centered in the mind? You know, what if every cell was conscious? Like, what would that experience be like? I don't know, but they were that, that, that's like where they were on the frontier of something that we, we aren't as a collective there yet, but maybe having an education that explicitly welcomes the whole person that isn't just there to train the brain, to get the piece of paper, you know, what are the implications of that? Well, we're still waiting to see.
1: Yeah. Beautiful. We're, we're, we're working through some really big ideas and this is, multi multi multi-layered approach to there's always a multi-layered approach to the integral in my experience so um i was going to say something that stands out in terms of an integral approach would be something like the involvement of individuation as as part of the process or soul making or um being being in touch with with the what Sri and the mother called the psychic being, which would be the evolutionary soul. Um, And that is sort of a place that sort of grounds um, experiences of um, the outside, the world, like I think Bauman has a um, tricentric system where he calls the cosmocentric, the egocentric, which would be the, the individual subjectivity on the inside, and the psychocentric, which would be the Sort of the, I guess the the root, which is really the the soul, as it evolves and and individuates in time. I have a really interesting quote here by Bauman.
0: Let's have it.
1: Talking about the present, like the 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 importance of the soul, the psychic being, um, and why we need that idea um, to avoid just sort of reconfiguring surface personality but really leading to something uh, that we call transformation. So here's his quote, without the presence of the soul as a catalyst, many adaptions can take place that do not result in transformation of consciousness, but are reconfigurations of surface personality. And I've taken this from uh, Integral Yoga Psychology, Metaphysics and Transformationist. It's taught by Sri Aurobindo, edited by Devashish, um, our department chair. And um, this was an article, uh, Elizabeth Royal, who's a EWP, Elizabeth Teklinski, who's a EWP PhD. So uh, you learned with Bauman, is that right?
0: Yes. Actually, Bauman was my chair of the, of the dissertation project. And I'd like to think, uh, yeah. still a friend to this day and mentor. Yeah. Actually what you just read struck me. Mm-hmm. Jonathan. And, you know, the word that came up, I was like, oh, that like reminded me of spiritual bypass in a way. Mm. And I was like, just curious about what, what he's conveying there and what that experience is. And I'm sure in some form, you know, if, if it is reconfiguration on the, it's still part of the path Hmm. in a way, you know, that, that quote from or Arbindo and the mother that all life is yoga, right? Nothing is not the practice or the path or the inner work. Once you kind of go into that way of life,
2: I think that there's, there's, I mean, there's something that something that I struggle with from time to time when i when I think about it, and I'm not thinking about my next meal. Um, that I I wonder uh, about, you know, what, what about this idea of spiritual bypass in the face of or in relation to a teaching that basically is is arguing that there will be a radical shift and it's going to be radical and and total and it's going to happen in some ways in the flash of an eye even though it's evolutionary at the same time the the requirement for that evolutionary shift to take place from my understanding of the teaching is one individual to actually break through into the this supermental consciousness and then the rest of um existence kind of falls in behind it so spiritual bypass is at maybe operative at the level of mind that we are operating in where you ha- really have to be able to articulate all of the various um aspects of of consciousness and and um experience and not leave any out so we don't say to ourselves oh i'm only interested in that you know i don't want to pay attention to my body i I don't like it so i I only want to pay attention to that but if a a radical transformation takes place is that bypass or is it a transformation that just kind of leaves this other consideration behind um yeah i don't know if i articulated that well
0: well, are you talking about radical in the sense that like humanity or just individually?
2: Well, I think that the the uh, the transformation that takes place in this, in the single individual and in, in t- originally intended to be the mother was supposed to transform the rest of creation. I mean, there's a pretty deep weirdness to their conception that, I mean, it's it goes beyond the ability of the intellect to kind of really grapple with because the only thing that you can do is when you start thinking about it is is pick it apart mm-hmm. or, or, or attempt to dismiss it because it requires a faith that is an uh an action not just a hope and that activity itself is the transformative mm. process
0: no i asked you that stuff because as you were talking what came up is that um concept or you know that finding about like the hundredth monkey idea right like at some point in the evolution like even though the 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 monkeys on this island didn't know about that tool right all of a sudden at some point they're using that tool and there's no way like anybody could have swam over there for example so I was like thinking about what you said about the mother kind of spurring this thing for humanity and, and it's probably still to be known. Right. But could happen.
1: Definitely. Uh, it's an experiment, right? It, it it unfolds in time. And so that's, it's, it is an interesting proposition, Stefan, for sure. And it's, uh, it's hard if we, if we start projecting too much onto the future of what that looks like, And we just sort of situate it in the moment and allow it to be a process, you know, Um, uh, basically an experimental process of learning. I think that's, that's a beautiful way to articulate what integral yoga can look like. Do you want to get a little bit more into the specifics of, um, of your dissertation? Can you tell us a little bit more about um, the, 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 the work that you did on that?
0: Sure. It's an actual book. I'm pulling it off my shelf
1: Oh, beautiful. So it's published? Where can people get it?
0: People can find it on ProQuest. It's open access. Um, There's also a couple... There's one article in Integral Review. That's the abbreviated version in case you don't want to check out the whole extended version. You know, one of the best parts about it was like Bauman and I, you know we were using Dr. Chaudhary's triadic principle, you know, which Bauman (laughs) renamed. I'm like, what is Dr. Chaudhary? It's transcendent, relational, and Mm. uniqueness. Okay. So that's Dr. Chaudhary's triadic principle, uniqueness, relational, and transcendent. And Bauman kind of you know, translated it a little bit to personal, interpersonal, and transpersonal. So we created a Likert scale, which is, you know, a ranking, you know, do, do alums agree or disagree? And we kind of coded it in the background, not for participants, but like there were items on the scale to address each of the domains and the triadic principle. So I thought that was an awesome process to do that with Bauman, but also I think it's something that the, that we can look at as a university because yeah, how do we actually begin to measure, like, are we offering a multidimensional education? Like, are we doing it? And if so, what, in what ways? Like, you know, one of the items on the scale was like, W- moving through the degree in east-west um, increased my somatic awareness. you know, and and it was overwhelming that people agreed. And that was the other neat thing about the dissertation process is it is it really opened up a, a bunch of other avenues for future research. And because I was like, wow, I wonder what are the implications of having increased somatic awareness? Like what does that mean in people's lives? Like so, it it gave us a lot of information about people's experiences, and it gave a lot of questions of where we could take it next. Um, and it was really awesome to see how many people were really on board to participate. So we basically... Every email address that the university had on file for our alumni received the invitation. So that was about, you know, 150 people. And we only have, so this might be changed by now because it's five years out. But at the time, you know, we only had just over 300 East West alums. So we were able to kind of access half that. And there was a close to a 30% response rate, which is really high in the stats world. Um, So that was exciting to feel like the community wanted to reflect on their experience and share about it. And I think doing the mixed method was, was a good idea because it allowed us to get some statistics to hopefully communicate to the people who might be like, well, Interviews, that's a small sample. You know, it it just, I think having a mixed method really um, had the potential to increase the readership, right? Because it kind of satisfies both groups. If you're a numbers person and you want to get a sense of a group, that was there. And if you're into the quality of experience, we got to dive deeper into interviews and and have you know some thematic analysis. And actually, you know what I shared earlier about you know folks coming to CIS already as seekers, that was one of the themes that came up in the interview. All ten people who participated in the interviews were were in that mindset um, when they came to CIS. Uh, so that was interesting to find out. Another thing that came up, though, I can share is like, and I don't know if this was because people knew me and they felt comfortable with me, but I did get feedback on like on our growth edges. Um, pe- people, people are seeking um, a better bridge, you know, from east-west back into uh, the mainstream. So, that's why I felt super excited to get involved with the Center for Writing and Scholarship because I feel like that is a program within integral education at CIS that really focuses on skill building with writing and teaching.
1: I guess for me, the questions, uh, like, I guess, how, like, maybe just talk a little bit about how you, how you, well, the questions maybe you were asking and how you, you sort of designed the, the gauge in order to understand how people were understanding the integral or the the type of transformation that they were seeking. And I'm really interested in the results.
0: <laughs> like I said, this, the questions were really a collaborative effort. It was like many conversations and chats with Bauman to really refine the um, and it's hard to pin some things down you know some some questions could be like in interpersonal and transpersonal um so you know it the survey in and of itself could certainly use another look and continue to grow i think you know what was perhaps most interesting was at the end of the scale uh, oh here it is i'll i'll share a couple EWP helped me develop an expanded sense of self. Learning about psycho-spiritual disciplines inspired me to develop a personal regular practice. The education I received from EWP helped me develop new levels of emotional maturity. As a result of EWP, I was taught to honor multiple ways of knowing. EWP awakened in me a sense of global citizenship and responsibility. So, you know, really I was leaning, of course, on my conversations with Bauman, but also there's a specific text by Aurobindo and the mother. It's, in, it's, it, it's their words on education. And, you know, we have to remember that their work in the realm of education was really for youth, you know, so younger children and elementary and junior and high school. Um, So what Dr. Chaudhry did differently, as we all know, is he applied it to higher education. So that's another place where we're right on the cutting edge and could be, you know, explored further. Um, I actually, you know, (laughs) I wanted to do a Fulbright where I could go to India and learn more about integral education and its original, you know, founding context and, and visit like schools that practice, because I was curious to see like what kind of exchange could happen, you know, because of the different context that was founded and, and, and how we're applying it to higher ed, like what, what could we learn from each other? Um, Maybe that'll still come to fruition at some day.
1: Yeah, let's hope. That's great. And when I was traveling in in India, visit I got to visit different like primary and schools in Oroville and the ashram school. Um, and then, but the ashram school is is it goes right up to knowledge. Knowledge is a university. And I never got to visit that. I always wanted to go and sit in on some classes, but I was—I never had that opportunity. I don't think that's really allowed. But I was very curious, actually, about what, how to how they employed because the they employed the the method of integral education. Um, but it is—it's—it's it's not a one—it's not one thing either. We have to remember it is, it is uh, can be approached in a plurality mm. of ways, and so. You know, CIS would be would be one of those ways.
0: <laughs> you know, and, and some of the other pieces were about like how how did it, you know, did it impact how you are able, capable to honor multiple worldviews, even those divergent to your own, engaged very aspect various aspects of my being, honored multidimensionality, grow spiritually. Greater understanding of my intuition. The the other piece about the scale though was it was followed by three qualitative fill-in questions. So it, this I feel like was the most interesting part because people got to, you know, free write, you know, in your view, what characterizes integral education? Mm-hmm. How has your EWP learning experience and degree completion contributed to your personal development? and professional development so that was the real like edge of the research like personally and professionally what's the value but yeah and and to be honest this came up as like a a fuel for thinking going forward like I was wondering if the open-ended question should have been first, because I don't know if the scale sort of primed the pump for people or not. Um, But, you know, people really shared back that they felt that integral education is about multiple ways of knowing, embodied knowing, mythic, magical, mental, integral. It's about, art music discourse teachings research personal experience it's about honoring and balancing all aspects of a person multiple lines of development or multidimensional growth so body mind heart spirit integration of inner spiritual psychological practice with community and organizational awareness and social transformation, integration of the different aspects of our existence. Integral education teaches inner connectedness, reflection, emotional empathy, acceptance for others. It teaches to evoke the feminine. It teaches how to hold concepts like monism, dualism, and pluralism. It teaches embodied practices. It teaches exploration, supports psycho-spiritual unfolding, you know, so so what does that mean? Maybe that means individuation. Maybe that means integral yoga. You know, I think, as we talked about earlier, you know, there is no prescribed path. So it's like, honoring how people get there. It doesn't have to be like one set way. You know, you can you can be in Christianity or Buddhism and still, I think, you know, to use the psych word, right, individuation, that's maybe, oh, that's maybe where the West was trying to come through psychology, circle back to spirit. I think, you know, not to speak for Dr. Chaudhry, but from my understanding is like he saw a real potential when he encountered Western psychology as a field, because he thought that was a way, you know, back to spirituality. And And back when the school was founded in 68, it was really about creating a clinical program that was more a whole-person approach that wove in spirituality and the transpersonal. And East-West was also one of the um, first programs at the university as well. So it really had that psyche and spirit basis from the outset, the whole school.
2: Yeah, Freud's an interesting case because you don't normally associate him with spirituality. And he actually wrote you know, an entire book on how he felt religion itself was a neurosis, and yet... He he came out of a Jewish tradition that in the 1800s was trying to distance itself from the excesses of Jewish mysticism of the previous two centuries, I think. And they were aligning themselves more with kind of enlightenment ideals. But there have been, there's been research lately. Some of it's controversial, but it's really fascinating to me that, that kind of links Freud's ideas in, into the Kabbalah and he had a, a heritage, a Hasidic heritage. So, And his fascination with dreams and, uh, and kind of the esoteric subjects would speak to that. He himself was also kind of materialist in his orientation, but the whole Jewish community in Europe uh, during that period was kind of moving more and more deeply into materialism as a paradigm that they were operating within. So I think it's there. Even you know, um, Brendan Collins, who who was the chair of my dissertation and a past uh, uh, fact, core faculty at the school, who came from a monastic background, he loved teaching uh, psychoanalysis. He loved teaching Freud because he also felt that there was a pretty profound spirituality to be found in Freud. It was not a it was not religious, in the kind of traditional way that we understand it but if you look at jewish spirituality it's profoundly psychological also and it's tied very much into the world and how you act in the world whereas i think that jung's psychology has also has a, a more transcendent or transpersonal aspect to it which i've always found attractive and i think a lot of people like me who have trapdoors in their head to escape through find really attractive about Jung's work. but even at, at at root, Jung's work is about integrating into the world how to be a, how to be a good citizen, but a good citizen as a whole individual, not as a, an individual that's been put on a kind of Procrustean procrustean bed and uh, fit to order. Yeah, Sri Aurobindo and the mother, or Sri Aurobindo especially, was highly critical of uh, psychoanalysis and, and, well, early psychology. And when I was doing research for this talk, this lecture that I'm giving, I mean, when you look at the early years of the American Psychological Association and the stuff that they were getting into, and the way in which the human being was increasingly l- being looked at as a kind of a mechanism, I, you can understand where he was coming from, but he also lived before the advent of transpersonal psychology
1: or even humanistic psychology. And he didn't know Jung very well. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Yep. Um, We have a little more time here and I wanted to switch the gears to, um, to get to talking about what you have going on right now. Um, You're, you're helping to organize a decolonizing research symposium. So I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit, a little bit about that and maybe we can, uh, we can, we can, find some questions that, that, that raises.
0: Absolutely. Thanks, Jonathan. Um, so actually this spring symposium got its start in the fall. Um, this is really a grassroots student-led initiative to center voices that are often left at the margins. And so in the fall of 2020, um, there were practicing indigenous scholars invited to participate in a panel where our our community and the students in their communities were invited to a virtual academic panel event and all the researchers shared you know about their sense of what indigenous methodology is and how they are practicing it as you know academics and professors in their work and we followed that event with a community conversation space for students, um, which I think is almost as important as the panel, right? We invited some people to share, and then we created a space for students to reflect on learnings and you know what they took away and how they might apply it in their own work. And then we shifted gears this spring to create a conference internally. And we expanded the frame. So, so more than just indigenous methodologies, but anti-racist and decolonial and alternative methods. However, people are applying them. And we even sort of had to, you know, learn as we go because some of the feedback we got was the call for proposals was a little too Eurocentric. So, you know, we expanded it to say call for proposals, projects, and presentations, you know. So I think in a Western academic institution, um, there's a lot of learning that can happen. Um, And we just need to be open to that because I think for so long, you know, researchers and scholars have had to try to fit into the way things have been built. So how do we within those systems create spaces to invite other ways of knowing and other ways of doing research? Because I think that's really the basis is like diverging from that positivist, like, I'm going to observe, I have no influence on what I'm observing, and I'm going to report out facts of the world, um, alternative approaches and indigenous approaches, especially have a basis in relationship. So that kind of just flips research on its head as it is because, you know, formally it's like research. You're supposed to be the detached researcher observing subjects, you know, even in the language you can hear, it's like different.
1: Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I was invited, I guess, just as CWS, and I feel like I'm really just on the sidelines, like supporting the student led initiative. And it's such an honor because I think, you know, it goes along with the movement, or not the movement, but the reinvigoration of the university's commitment to be be an anti racist university. And we're even leveraging something that was started last semester with Rachel and Freilani, Office of Diversity and Inclusion and Student Affairs. Um, They sent a team of students and myself to um, a restorative practice training and how we could apply it in the university space. So we're actually using that restorative practice as a basis for the conference and what is restorative practice well it's a it's it's an offshoot of restorative justice which is it's a movement in the justice system mostly so they were thinking of ways like how to transform form the justice system. And I'm not a restorative justice expert. And I'm just dipping my toes into what restorative practice is. But it's like, how do we make relationship the basis and and build from there? Um, How do we create, you know, and this is important in a classroom because if, for example, you know, there's an instance in class where harm has been done, you know, how do we repair and move forward together and not like inadvertently leave anyone behind? So it was synchronous because this restorative practice momentum with student affairs and ODI happened, emerged at the same time as this student momentum to do this decolonial, indigenous, anti-racist method space. Um, so, yeah, and because I was part of both, I'm bringing them together this spring. So that's really exciting. And and really, this needs to be the first of many. You know, hopefully this is the start of something that we continue. Um, and, and that's, I guess, part of my task of being part of it is like, how do I help the students, you know, communicate effectively with the university administration to make this a more central part of um, what we're doing here? Because I think it's part of integral. Um, I think the idea or practice of like unity and diversity is not Tangential to what we're doing here, with like making a conscious effort to bring to the center voices often forgotten or disregarded.
1: Great, yeah, I, I completely, completely agree, and and feel that um, EWP and CIAS has helped helped me see the importance and the imperative of um, of, be, of of activism and 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 critiquing the academy. Um, Stefan, is there anything that you want to say along those terms? I know you're right now taing the class that deals with this in EWP, knowledge work in the modern academy. Yeah, I
2: think Devashish really holds this piece in the department. I mean, everybody does, all of the faculty members do, uh, Ishtar uh, also especially. Uh, but Devashish, in, in, a, in a very special way, is a speci- especially as a person from another culture, uh, he has a very interesting perspective and a really valuable perspective. He's taken the class through, you know, he uses Michael Segre's book on the history of Western education. I can't remember the title of the book. And then he looks at Spanos's uh, book, which is really on kind of a postmodern critique also of colonialism and the educational system. And uh, it's it's really powerful. Uh, It's so interesting though that students will, students who are learning, you know, ways to engage uh, materials such as this can also find within this material some problematic aspects as well. And I think that really at root, what it comes down to is articulation. The more articulate we become, I mean, the postmodern in some ways was about uh, atomizing everything that came in its path, but just picking things apart completely. There's a there's a negative aspect to that, but there's also a positive aspect, which is it makes each of us more articulate. And then we we're no longer... Uh, controlled uh, as much by a kind of unconscious urges and powers and and events that are happening around us that we're not able to pay careful attention to because we have the ability to turn on a dime and to stop and say, okay, what is it that I'm experiencing exactly. and what are the what are the various aspects of this and that m- meaning you know uh, historical and biosocial and spiritual and psychological so the ability to articulate at that level I think is also something that I learned from my reading of the mother who was fond of saying that a human being is a, a kind of made up of an infinite or a myriad of separate intelligences and those can be cellular you know they can be the cells themselves they can be bacteria that's that are in the body but also in their philosophy they're they can be spiritual beings angelic beings disem- disembodied intelligences that go in to make us what we are and that is a kind of a liberating perspective it's it's tricky and dangerous because we it's really easy at least I can mean I' own this it's easy for me to believe in stuff that I don't have direct experience of so I'm constantly having to check that but I think that that, this this idea of knowing where how how we're situated what our what our um, uh, stand not just our standpoint but but how our embodied uh, self uh, impacts the those around us and how we're impacted by the other embodied selves and how our you know I've had to learn that my gender and, and my race and uh, my, my sexual orientation have an impact on people around me. And the, the more unconscious I am about them, the greater that impact can be in a negative way. So I think this is an extremely important work. And, and Debashish's class is, is kind of a first step for students entering the program now to address this, and they're really responding to it.
0: Mm. Well, I would say this, Steph, I don't think that your identities impact people. I think it's the systemic privileging that different people have had, whether conscious or not, like over time, like not, not necessarily the result of anything we've done, right? But we're here now in these bodies. And so I don't, yeah, I just wanted to say that it's not you, your identities.
2: I always think it's me.
0: (laughs) But I mean, this is, this is where maybe the individuation or the, you know, psycho-spiritual practice and inner work comes into the social sphere right like because how do we have the tough conversations about race and other identities and all the intersections and all the impacts historical and present like how do we have those conversations without being reactive how can we have generative where where we can heal and move forward together anew
1: Mm -hmm. they're really important absolutely